Good morning. Right. Uh, welcome to our week of prayer, 2016, everyone. Right from the outset, I want to give Jesus the praise and the glory this morning. So why don't we just quickly stand, stretch your legs a little. Why don't we stand and start applauding this Jesus that we're... Right at the start, we want to put him first. Right at the start, we want to give him the glory, the adoration. A big clap. Wonderful, wonderful Jesus. Let's show our... He's been faithful, hasn't he? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. If you're right, you can take your seats. If you're a visitor uh, with us today, you're very welcome. Thank you for coming. Great to hear from Michael Acotia uh, this morning. Why don't you come to the front? Come and sit with us at the front. There's lots of things that I've, we, haven't, we haven't met um, before properly, haven't we? And there's lots of things that I'm loving about this man. And, what, you know, sitting at the back, not many guys who lead churches uh, across... Um, oh, sorry, who oversee churches across big parts of Africa, uh, part of apostolic teams. Very often very, they sit at the front right at the beginning with, don't they? This man is a humble man. Thank you. Um, um, I, I'd really encourage you, Michael leads the... Uh, team across, uh, helps with part of leading the team across the West Africa New Frontiers team. Um, he's going to be sharing, as uh, Sarush just said, he's going to be sharing more over, the, over these next few days. He's going to be particularly uh, sharing on Wednesday night, so please do come and uh, pray and uh, listen to all the things he has to say. His church is very much a praying church and I know Michael from just the few gatherings that we've had over the last few days and going out to uh, bridges and lemon top places and beaches and things he's a real man of prayer so let it be infectious as you get as you come among as he as we invite him amongst us let prayer become infectious amongst us uh, thanks also I'm going to reiterate my thanks to all you, of those who've been involved with uh, making uh, the week to come happen. I'm really excited. You guys have been getting things ready, um, organizing different events, putting together a prayer guide. I love the prayer guide. Facilitating our worship teams over the coming days uh, and revamping our prayer room. Leslie, your team, uh, I've seen pictures of it, but I've deliberately not been in because I want to be there when everybody else goes there. So um, uh, I haven't been there yet. Um, I feel God is really wanting to relight. This is what I've been feeling as we've been praying up to coming to prayer week. I feel God is really wanting to relight flames in some of you this week. I've heard a lot of that prophetically spoken to me. He wants to bring a fresh release of his spirit amongst us as a time jubilee of recharging, revitalizing, recommissioning coming. As Andy shared the other day at uh, the Stockton Parish Church, at the old Stockton churches gathering. This is a week about uh, freshness. This is a week about power, uh, about face-to-face -face encounters. That's what I felt God said to me. Face-to-face -face encounters with our living God. Jubilee, I felt also God say that, um, uh, I also felt God say and really stop me and challenge me really. He said, will you step into my waterfall? 
Will you step into my waterfall? I sometimes uh, think we can get all cynical sometimes about our walk with God. We can get a bit lukewarm in our participation in the church and our involvement in community. We can drift a little, can't we? We can uh, have seasons, if you like, of drawing back. For some of you, we've certainly been through that over the seasons, but for some of you, that is your experience right now. But God says today, Jubilee, to those of you who are feeling like that, God says today, will you step back into my waterfall? You see, stepping is a doing word, as uh, Mrs. Askell, my English teacher, used to tell me when I was little. Will you be a people individually and corporately who get drenched in my presence? And as you get drenched in the presence of God, you start drawing in others into that very same waterfall of grace and peace and love and kingdom advancement. Will you? Will you be a people jubilee who in faith keep stepping in, keep in, keep Keep step with God the Holy Spirit. Battle through, putting on the full armour of God in Jesus. Come on, Lord. Come and invade and drench this church. Do you believe God wants a people prepared, ready, engaged for the years to come? God is raising an army of men and women and children from all walks of life from many nations, as Sarush just said, from all social backgrounds, to fight the good fight of faith. And the, and the question right at the beginning of Prayer Week 2016 that God is putting before all of us, you and me, is will you allow God to work His way in you? Will you allow Him to reset you? It might hurt a little for some of you. Will you allow his love and his grace and uh, his gifting, if you like, clothe you for the battle ahead? Hebrews 12.1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off, doing word, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, steadfastness, not shifting, a race marked out for us. That's our destiny, Jubilee. So let's read, shall we? Let's read uh, together. This morning's uh, passage is Isaiah 9-2. So if you've got a Bible, you might want to start turning to that. I'll give you a few moments. I didn't give you a warning at the beginning, as usually I do. Um, We're going to be reading from Isaiah 9. It's up on the screen. The people, I'll, let, I'll give you a few moments to find it in your Bibles. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their, their joy and they rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. For to us a child is born, 
To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on for and forever. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for that magnificent scripture. Thank you, Lord, for that magnificent, beautiful, powerful, prophetic word of God, breathed by God the Holy Spirit into the Bible. I thank you, Lord, that these words are life to us. These words are hope to us. And I pray, Lord Jesus, as we unpack this, as we look uh, into this, um, um, this, this battle cry, if you like, Uh, for God's people. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will lift our heads, that you will sustain us, that you will bring courage and fortification, that those on the edge, those drawing back, those who are lukewarm, will be refreshed by you, God the Holy Spirit, driving us forward as one people together. We ask that in Jesus' name. So for those of you from this country, this is a very famous passage that we often read at Christmas, isn't it? Describing God's great plan in Jesus, an unfolding picture, if you like, um, of a time when God's nation shall be multiplied, uh, when the yoke of slavery will be broken and a new kingdom government will rise to worship Jesus on the throne. As you go through Isaiah, you start flicking the pages one by one. It gets more and more intense. You should do it sometime. You can feel the big sway of God in future history. God is large and in charge, reads Isaiah. And then, of course, we eventually get to Isaiah 61, from which we, Jubilee, get our our vision. God's revelation to us about the church he is building what it looks like, what happens when the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord falls on men and women, Um, um, what's important in the years to come. And through Isaiah 61, you know it. God has called us to be a church receiving Jesus, reaching out to those who don't know Jesus, reaching out through social justice and compassion. Restoring communities that change other communities, not communities just like any other communities, but different communities, countercultural communities, beautiful communities. And releasing everyone, releasing everyone into their God given gifts, the things that God has called us to together as a church. This is God's prophetic plan, if you like, to you and me, His prophetic people. We are a prophetic people. We're declaring Jesus to the world. Last Wednesday at the prayer meeting as I was watching little Gideon, I don't know if he's here this morning, he's not here. Oh, he's over there as I was watching little Gideon, Fumi's son, fast asleep in his car seat at St. Cuthbert's. I felt God arrest my attention and say, I want you to speak about Gideon this morning from the Bible. Um, um, actually, Fumi, Fumi also said, um, would you pray for him, didn't you, Fumi? And actually, I've been praying all week, spending a little bit of time praying for uh, this little boy, that he'd be a mighty warrior for Jesus, as we often pray with our kids, that he would stay close to Jesus, that he would experience throughout his life the grace and peace and joy of Jesus. You have a beautiful little man there. And so, as I was, and so, actually, I was planning this morning on speaking on Isaiah 61 before the prayer meeting and revisiting our four hours again. 
But God said something different. And so as I read and studied the story of Gideon in Judges, in, in, in Judges 6 and 7, I came across through studying it and looking at commentaries, and it took me to Isaiah 9, what we've just read. And what caught my eye, which I hadn't really paid much attention to in the past, was that this this description of God's plan for history, with all its battle language, which which is very appropriate to the season we're in. We're not getting prepared for battle. I felt God really say this as I was praying this week. We're not getting prepared for battle anymore, Jubilee. We're in it. You are in it. I am in it. And that requires, actually, a different approach. So what got me as I read Isaiah 9 was that tucked in the middle, I don't know if you noticed it, I put it in bigger writing on the uh, overhead, was this phrase, for as in the day of Midian's defeat. Right in the midst of all this battle talk and God's restoration and wonderful good news of Jesus coming, God declares that there is something we can take home from what happened at the battle of Midian into the now. The story of Gideon. For those of you who don't know, I'll give you a little summary uh, about the story of Gideon. Gideon is a frail and fearful man who is living in one of the most, wor- uh, one of the worst spiritual times or, uh, um, in, in Israel. Think they're hiding in caves, all these guys. People weren't coming to their alphas, if you like. They weren't growing. Some were leaving. Finances were a bit tough. Their great enemy, the Midianites, had outnumbered them, and regularly they were attacking and plundering and destroying anything they'd tried to build. In fact, things had got so bad that eventually they resorted, as I said, to hiding in caves and mountains. This was a people, you see. What shocked them is this was a people of great destiny and a magnificent past. Before them were Joshua and Moses' great miraculous victories, powerful moves of God, the Red Sea separating, Jericho was crumbling. And in the generation to come then, we would see the anointing of Samuel leading to the mighty kingdoms of David and Solomon. But right there, right now, things weren't looking so great. But God knew what he was doing. God is not threatened by numbers, Jubilee. God actually is more interested in a pure heart and a compassionate people. God is more interested in you and me, individually and corporately, that we get things right with God, that we're obedient and faithful to him. So Gideon at this time is called by God to lead them to victory. And of course, Gideon can't believe it. He's really not a warrior from all external appearances. In fact, right at the start there, there's a really pathetic dialogue that goes on between him and God where really he's brushing off this big idea that God had for him. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Go and save Israel out of Midian's mighty hands. Am I not sending you, Gideon? Uh, I don't think so, Lord. Not today, thank you. And as many of you will recount, God is very patient with him. And eventually, through a series of signs and um, signs from God, he finally is willing to be used by God. Finally. Took a while. Took a few lines. Took a few pages. And then, just just as he gets ready, God rocks him once again. 
as he first reduces his army from 32,000, that was still where smaller than the Midianites, from 32,000 to 10,000. And then to what looked like a pitiful 300 men. <laughs> Ugh, thought Gideon. But in their obedience to what God says to do, in their trusting actions and through the powerful, miraculous sovereignty of God, this 300 army, as you read uh, Judges 7, manages to cause enough mayhem in the Midianite army by blowing trumpets and lighting torches and making lots of noise all together at the same time in the dark, frightening, uh, in, in the, dark frightening the Midianite army away without a single sword. That's what happened. They didn't even have to fight. God came through. That's the story of the Battle of Midian, in short. That's the story of Gideon. And so God declares through the prophet Isaiah that as in the Battle of Midian, what I've just described, you might want to go home and read it to uh, read it with the family, the whole thing. It's a fascinating story. It's gripping. Um, as at the Battle of Midian, there are things that we can take into our battles, my battle, your battle, together now. There are principles, I believe, from this that we can take home and live out in the battle. And really, that's what I want to unpack this morning. Three things that I, that I see greatly helped, um, three things that I really see greatly helped by listening to Terry Virgo this week. I've been reading a lot of Terry Virgo, uh, reading and listening to a lot of Terry Virgo this morning. He founded the New Frontiers uh, movement that we're a part of. And interestingly, his son, years later, Joel Virgo, God works through generations preach, preaching on this. And so really I want to bring three things to you from, the, from what I've read. And really the, f- the first thing is God speaks faith into the battle. Firstly, God speaks faith into the battle. Secondly, God chooses the unlikeliest of the unlikelies to fight the battle. You and me. And thirdly, God, through the unlikelies, raises an army to battle. Okay. So firstly, God speaks into the battle situation. In Judges 6-7, it says this, When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the God of Israel says. In the midst of the battle, by the way, this is the right response, isn't it? Not grieving for the past. Someone, uh, Kyrian mentioned this the other day. Not grieving for the past, not rushing ahead, but crying out to God in the here and now. And so anyhow, what did the the prophet say? He said this, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. And hear this, do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. You see, God brings a new voice. He doesn't bring a new diagnosis. This has been going on and will continue to go on. But he brings a new voice, a new voice to capture their attention, wake them up, as Gavin uh, preached on a few uh, weeks ago, to make them sit up and listen, to change them. Wake up. 
You see, the prophetic voice of God is what, is, is, is what sta- sustains and directs the people of God. Not just wise ideas or man's wisdom. The prophetic brings revelation of what God is doing in history and opens our eyes to the big biblical mystery. Mystery there, meaning the truth inaccessible to man's knowledge, which is now being revealed by God the Holy Spirit. The prophetic wants to show us the bigger picture, to stand back and see things from God's perspective. I love taking panoramas on my iPhone. Just like this word, just like this word to the people of Israel during Gideon's time, recently I feel God has been speaking to us as a church about reigniting, recapturing, re-worshipping, if you like, your first love, hasn't he? Talked about it on a few times. Revelation 2 says this, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks amongst the seven golden lampstands, Jesus. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. You've been doing great stuff, and it tells. And it goes on about that. And then it says, Yet I hold this against you. This is the church in Ephesus, remember? Brilliant church. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Boom. Jubilee, God wants to ignite a love and passion for Jesus again in us all. A passion that looks like something, that raises faith, that changes our lives, that calls us to eye-popping deeds and generosity. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. When God first encounters Gideon, he tells him to tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole, another false god, beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God. That's what he said. Tear it down, Gideon. Jubilee, our God is a jealous God. That description of Yahweh, jealous, we don't really like the word jealous, do we? But it's right in the middle of the Ten Commandments. It's not sideline theology. Our God is a jealous God. He's jealous for us. He's jealous for his bride. He doesn't want a people flirting with other gods, causing us to look elsewhere, eyeing up the world, leading us into spiritual unfaithfulness and adultery. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible about adultery. Jubilee, God is calling us to be ruthless, individually and together, tearing down the altars to Baal and Asherah, right here, right now. What are the things that are drawing you away from your first love, your beautiful Jesus? It's not that these things are, um, um, you, you know, it's not that you just break, it's not that we're just breaking the rules when we do things, these things. We're breaking his heart. What's distracting you? What's draining you of your love and joy in Jesus? Jubilee, what are the wants? This is what Charlotte said the other day when I, when we were eating, what are the wants that you are pursuing over what God wants? Money, sex, power, position, promotion, me first, my rights, bailing out, not committing, bad stewardship of time or overprotection, building our castles around us, possessions, gifting. These are the flirtatious gods of today. 
when we overprotect them and don't use them for God's glory. Tear them down, says God. Me first, my bride. This is what was brought prophetically a few months ago now from Joshua 24, 14. It says, Now fear the Lord and serve, uh, serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served uh, beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in, those la- in, in whose lands you are living. But as for me, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. As we pray this week, let him ignite a passion that will sustain you in this battle season that we're in. Jubilee, being in God's battle isn't a bad thing, not at all. Sometimes we think, what have we done wrong? What's going on? We're in the battle. The battle is actually where God wants us to be. That's where King David, if you remember the story, should have been when he instead chose to stay at home, leading him to temptation and then adultery with Bathsheba and then also murder, remember? No, the battle is where we're meant to be. But there in the midst of it, right in the center of it, we must have Jesus also at the center, our precious, beautiful, strong, powerful groom. So God sends a prophet who speaks into the battle situation. Tear down your bowels and asherahs and ignite a passion for your first love. Don't be distracted. That's what what we're going to be doing actually tonight when we worship together here um, um, later on. Praise, thanksgiving, giving attention to him and glory to Jesus. We're not going to be rushing on in, in praying for this, praying for that, praying for this tonight. Actually, we're going to be lingering in worship. We're going to be uh, getting filled with God, the Holy Spirit. We're going to be encountering him. Can I encourage you to come along tonight? We're going to be putting him first. So this afternoon, while you're having your Sunday dinner, you might want to, get start, you might want to start getting charged up for tonight. Secondly, we see how God chooses the unlikely in this battle. You see, we worship a God of grace, don't we? He's not just an up there and out there distant God who tells us off all the time and doesn't care what happens after that. No, he highlights the issues and then he brings an answer. And more often than not, it's an unlikely one. We see this time and time again in the Bible, don't we? As we seek him, he, uh, he unfolds to us what needs unfolding, doesn't he? Waiting on God is critical to moving forward with God. As uh, Mona so beautifully put it the other day um, at our devoted gathering when she was talking on prayer, she said, before we can walk with Jesus, we must first learn to sit with Jesus. I like that. Will you make every effort to do that this week? That's what this week's about, a big part of this week's about. I want you to deliberately, you know, there's a, whole, there's a whole program out there and one of our first thoughts is, oh, I can't do that. And we start thinking, I'm going to come to that, I'm not going to come to that. Can I encourage you to battle those excuses? It's going to be hard to turn up to everything. But I want you to battle those exclusives. Press in 
Come to our seven in the morning prayer meetings. Come to the evening events. Get yourselves and bring others in the church family. Text them, ring them up to the prayer room or to different things to pray together. Pray and fast at home if you can. Read and pray through the prayer guide as you've all got it. Yeah? The most intimate communion or relationship with God comes only through prayer, Bill Hybels. Prayer unites the soul to God. Augustine. How astonishing is it that God wills to do his work through people, you and me, What is doubly astonishing is that he ordains or he agrees or he decrees to fulfill his plans by being asked to do so. God loves to bless his people, but even more, God loves to do it in answer to prayer. It's amazing, isn't it? Come and join in this week. Don't miss out. Anyway, so God highlights the problem, doesn't he? And a uh, uh, problem to Gideon. And then he provides the unlikely answer. What's the unlikely answer? Judges 6.12. It says this. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Go in the, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? <clears throat> the amazing thing about the Christian faith jubilee is that God chooses to partner with us, his fallen, messed up, fearful, often unfaithful people. Terry Virgo writes this, the angel of the Lord, whose mere breath could have destroyed Midian unaided, was selecting his chosen instrument. I love that. Gideon. And you know what? He still is. I hope that gives you encouragement. God is choosing men and women, married and single, young and older people, people from all backgrounds and languages and life stories and social settings to accomplish his purposes on the earth, primarily through the church, this church, you and me. But in this story, when you read the detail, it's actually the choice which really stands out here. Gideon. You'd think that God would be looking for a national hero, maybe. Ideally, someone strong and courageous, determined, driven. But instead, God chooses Gideon. What was God? Was God playing some kind of joke? Who was Gideon? Well, to put it bluntly, he was the least significant member of the least significant family of the least significant tribe in all of Israel. And you know what? Gideon knew it. I love the Bible, it's so real. When, when, when God chooses Gideon, he says, pardon me, Lord. Or as um, one of our friends from America might have said, hello, somebody. <laughs> Don Smith. Are you off your rocker? But this seems to be God's pattern, doesn't it? When God, through the prophet Samuel, was looking, for, looking over Jesse's sons and rejecting them one by one as he went down the line, it's clear what he was looking for. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says this, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Talking about the others. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Eventually, Gideon comes to the point. Um, comes to, comes, eventually Gideon comes to the point of a heart of faith in the story. 
1 Chronicles 17, 17 says about David. David says, who am I, Lord, when he's picked? And what is my family that you've brought me this far? Same thing. Moses, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Jeremiah, alas, sovereign Lord, um, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. And what about Jesus? Philippians 2. Who, Jesus, who being in his very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, as a result of that, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above all names. And that, that, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow at the name of Jesus in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Whoa! God seems to love the unlikelies as it shows the grace and compassion and power of God, His power in people's lives. Praise God. That's great, isn't it? Very comforting looking into that kind of mirror when you're looking, at, when you're looking in the mirror. It's very comforting to know that God chooses the weak. But there's two things about that that are really important because sometimes people can use that as just something to hide behind. One, once chosen... We don't try and count ourselves out. If you, think, if you think I'm not good enough or look at them, I'm not, like, uh, I'm not like that, then Jesus says, hey, are you saying that I've got it wrong? Are you saying that my power is not strong enough in you? And then he might point you to the family list that starts. <clears throat> Matthew's gospel that uh, our group was looking at the other day called the genealogy. The list of people that God says are the family line resulting in the birth of Jesus. Tamar, who dresses up as a prostitute and has sex with her dad to produce an heir. Rahab, who doesn't just dress up as a pro- like a prostitute, she is one. Then we have Jacob, the cheat, Solomon, the womanizer. David, the adulterer and murderer. Jubilee, nothing, nothing is impossible with God. Once chosen, Jubilee, it becomes our faith-filled obligation to come through with God. Knowing that he is doing the calling keeps us strong in the midst of battle, pain, hardship, failures, falls, setbacks, conflict. All a sure certainty for the people of God who are exercising their faith faithfully. Two, we are to be men and women clothed in the power of God. Yeah? Sometimes by, his spirit, sometimes by His Spirit, God needs to weaken some of us, He certainly did with me, before He can promote us. When God chooses us, He anoints us, He smothers us, like rubbing on ointment. That's where that, but partly where that word has um, parallels, ointment, anointing, with His Holy Spirit. Judges 6.34 says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. The Spirit of God, Jubilee, of Jesus himself, of our triune God, is available to everyone, everywhere, every time, as we put our trust in him. 
Jesus says to us the same thing that he said to his disciples today. He says, I am going to send you, uh, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. Stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from God on high. Don't go anywhere. Don't do anything unless you're filled with the Spirit and you are walking in the Spirit. That's what distinguishes us from everyone else, doesn't it, Jubilee? It's not our website. I love, our, I love the things that we're talking about with our new website. It's not our electric guitars and drums. I love the worship this morning. It's not uh, the, the many different faces that make Jubilee. I love our diversity and colour and ethnic differences. All good things, all great things. But what primarily distinguishes Jubilee is that in Christ, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, is on you. Now go. Proclaim the good news to the poor. Proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. Set the oppressed free. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Go in the power of God. Put it on. God speaks truth into Gideon before he's become what God has destined him to be. Have you noticed that? The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Who, me? And so it is with us. We walk into the reality that God defines for us. I'll say that again. We walk into the reality that God defines for us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. You're the new, new covenant people, new jubilee. Now live it out. Live it out. So firstly, one, God speaks truth and faith into the battle. Two, God chooses the unlikeliest of the unlikeliest to fight the battle, clothed in the spirit, powerful, confident, trusting, daring, because we're in Christ, rooted, secure. Finally, God raises an army. God raises an army. Jubilee, God is calling for a people who will rise to his vision, his revelation to the church that he is building. Our Isaiah 61 for our commitment. And you know what? Give it their all. That's what he's looking for. He's not looking for 50% commitment. He's not looking for partial involvement. No. That's not the call of God for the church. God wants a church that is white, hot, passionate for him and his kingdom. What I always find fascinating in the story of the Battle of Midian is how God reduces the number in Gideon's army in two goes, in two stages. Why not just do it in one go? You see, as I've looked at this, the first reduction is from 32,000 men, a lot of men, but still much smaller than the Midianite army. He reduces them from 32,000 to 10,000 men. That's still a lot of people. Um, and a lot of people go. And that, that sifting, that reduction, seems to be about fearless commitment and faith. That's what he's doing. It says in Judges 7.1, Early in the morning, Gideon and all his men camped at the spring of Harod. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. Now announce to the army, hear this, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. 
saw 22,000 left them with 10,000 left. Now you go back to your homes, said God. Who trembles with fear. The second reduction from 10,000 to 300, which really got Gideon, was about trusting God over yourself. Do you believe God is looking for people devoted to him? We felt that very clearly God say that to us as we put the um, prayer guide together. Devoted to him and his purposes. Being devoted, Acts 2.42 community, to teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer and, to, and for faith to step out in wonders and signs and be all out for community and sharing and generosity and meeting together and eating together and worshipping together. That's what Acts 2.42 describes. This doesn't, ju- this doesn't just happen, Jubilee, through issuing, issuing a diary or a prayer guide, although it's helpful, or forcing it on you which I'm not doing. No, it only comes through a heart that is devoted to Jesus. The word disciple, we use the word disciple quite a lot, methetes um, in the New Testament was a Greek word for a student actually, a learner, a follower, a Star Wars Padawan. Their understanding of discipleship wasn't for the teacher to pursue their passive uh, student or the teacher to pursue their student who wasn't focused or distracted pupil, but rather for the pupils to pursue their teacher and follow him as their new master. Jesus didn't recruit his 12 disciples with promises of gold and silver. He didn't do that. He said to them, just follow me. Take up my cross. And they did, even though it meant leaving behind family, friends, fields and fortune real, sacrificial, all-out, amazing devotion. When Jesus eventually commissioned these 12 to go and make disciples of all nations, he wasn't so much telling them to disciple the world, but rather to call the world to become disciples. Someone once said, Jesus came to to comfort the disturbed, but he also came to disturb the comfortable. If the band could come up, that would be good. Thanks, Jonathan, for the Maasai staff. Jesus is calling us to be that very... I'm not going to hit anybody, by the way, don't worry. Jesus is calling us to be that very same army disciples. He is raising a people to do what he wills. He's battling fear with faith, grumbling with unity, grieving with joy, sickness with healing, crumbling with restoration. He shaped each and every one of you, Jubilee, uh, to, differently, but to all contribute to fighting with power, his powerful, um, uh, his powerful vision, his powerful mission, this powerful battalion called the church. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Jesus Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Jubilee, will you put down... Will you put down, as Kyrian said the other day, will you press into the ground the prophetic staff of Aaron as he chooses you and molds you and grows you and watches it fruit, watches you fruit and flower and produce almonds for his glory? Will you? 
That's what God vividly said, didn't he? When Kirian brought what she brought with the staff. Interestingly, we were at the Stockton, uh, that old church's Stockton meeting, uh, prayer meeting, and someone brought a pool cue to Jemima and said those exact words. I think you need to do it. She said, symbolic actions have power. Will we be that kind of people who press our staff into the ground? I'm going to do something even more symbolic now. I don't know if it's going to work. I want us all to stand.